This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 843 with Diana Freik. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 843. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Diana Freik is a shameless mom and stepmom who was raised by immigrant refugee parents. Her father is a Holocaust survivor. Professionally, she is a marketing executive with 20 years of experience advising brands from Fortune 50 companies to startups on how to address their toughest growth challenges. As partner and CMO of branding firm Retail Voodoo, Diana uses her expertise in brand development, innovation, consumer markets, marketing, and packaging systems to help clients generate meaningful and sustainable growth. Tireless and determined in every element of her work, Diana believes that business should be a force for good. She uses her networking superpowers to drive change in the food, beverage, and wellness industries, specifically in the areas of employment diversity, food equality, and the promotion of sustainable supply chain. She's also the founder and the host of The Gooder Podcast, where she interviews powerhouse women leading on every level in food, beverage, and wellness. Diana and I, she's one of those people, we just totally hit it off. 
I leave most of my interviews, probably almost all of them, wanting to be friends with the people I've interviewed. But Diana was one of those where like immediately I was like, we need to be friends. <laughs> and she lives in Seattle, so we're going to make it happen. But I loved this conversation. I love how Diana was so open and forthcoming about her experience growing up, how her experience was so different than the common experience of being raised in the U.S., what she was interested in from a young age, how she went after what she was interested in, and how she's really carved a way for herself that has been exceptional and different and allowed her to be different in a way that then allowed her to stand out in all the best ways. So listen in to hear Diana share how her work with Jane Goodall impacted her work and professional journey in a profound way, her experience being raised in the U.S. by immigrant refugee parents and navigating being in the middle of so many aspects of her identity, not fitting in in many places and always feeling like an outsider, the impact of learning that her dad was a Holocaust survivor when she was in her 20s, how she has been able to use finding common ground by acknowledging differences as her superpower, how she's used her values and layered identity to build a company around her personal philosophy to do good, what she loves and what she finds a struggle with in step parenting. She has four children, so two from her previous marriage and then two stepchildren. And then she talks about her experience of getting her MBA as a mom of a middle schooler and high schooler. There's like nothing this woman can't do. I loved this conversation. I know you're going to feel inspired by Diana, but I also think that you're going to leave with the sense of permission that you can go do things your way. You can go do things a different way. You can show up as who you really are. And that sometimes not fitting in is a gift and that not fitting in is the thing that makes you special and that gives you that really unique perspective or place to come from where you can share something different with the world. And that can be a huge, huge gift. So I think you're going to love this one. And with all that said, please join me in welcoming Diana Frike to the Shameless Mom Academy. Diana, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Hi, thank you. I, just a joy to be part of the Shameless Mom community. It's going to be fun. I can tell from our pre-interview where <laughs> I love it when people get on. They're like, we can go anywhere with this. <laughs> like, Girl, let's go anywhere. anywhere. Yes. <laughs> um, so I always like to start with folks um, having the chance to talk a little bit about their personal and professional life beyond your bio and whatever you're most excited about right now. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, so <laughs> I'll just start a little bit about me. I am, you've heard of the terms introvert, extrovert. I am an extrovert. Thanks. I love people. And so any point, any part of my life that you're looking into, there's going to always be a lot of people part of it. And it's probably the reason why I'm in sales and marketing. I'm surrounded by people who like to talk. And then in sales, I get to meet new people all the stinking time. So, kind of going beyond my bio, there's a few things that are really important to me that I think people might be interested in. One is that I'm a daughter of immigrants, which is an important thing to understand about me. And we might talk about this a little bit later, but there's a way that I see the world that's different than people who are either immigrants or have are multi-generational American. The other part is that I love art. And then you take art and then I'm a daughter of immigrants and having the amazing luck of talking to people who have changed the planet. For example, Jane Goodall. I worked on a project with Jane Goodall, which oh impacted gosh. a lot of the reason why my business partner and I do what we do at Retail Voodoo. And that is around understanding that our businesses, that we have a choice for business to be a force for good or not be a force for good. But I feel like it's inappropriate to not 
be a force for good in some way, shape or form. And when you have a little tiny woman who comes up to you and makes you responsible for producing materials that don't impact negatively the earth or people or animals or anything like that, and she's somebody that the whole world recognizes as a leader of that, it's hard not to be changed for life. And so we could talk about that at any point in time, but her impact on me and how my family buys things in the house, how Mm -hmm. I buy things for the business, the choices on what companies we choose to do business with personally or professionally, and all of those things stems from the one project that I worked on. And it helped me realize that one person can have a lasting impact on the whole world just by requiring or asking to make a change in something that seems insignificant in the moment. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it makes total sense. And we can just be done now because that was so beautiful and <laughs> profound. Um, yes, that makes so much sense. And I think it's such a powerful reminder that sometimes we think so big picture, but sometimes if we think smaller picture and just yeah. one step at a time, but doing one step at a time that's aligned with our values, yeah. that that influences the really big picture in a huge way absolutely. that we don't always know in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So I make asks all the time now, but I make them in ways where people feel like they're helping me contribute to a bigger picture. And sometimes it could just be like, would you mind considering buying something from this store versus this store? Like when I'm talking with the kids or like when I talk with my kids a lot to the point where my kids almost don't want to spend any money on clothes. You know, we went back to school wow. shopping this end of the summer. And I said, what do you guys need? And they're like, you yeah, know, everything already fits me now. I don't really need anything. And I was thinking back to my high school days and I did not have that mindset. Yeah, same. <laughs> and I have to say that wasn't my ass. That was Jane Goodall's ass that mm. came through me and is mm. impacting my children. Like, I think we bought four or five things, period, end of story. They're using backpacks that are four years old. They're in high school mm-hmm. at the age where a lot of this stuff is all about perception. And Mm -hmm. this is the perception that they're choosing to move forward with. And I got it from this ask from this little tiny lady. So yeah, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So subsequently, all of my asks are a direct, actually an extension of her ask. So they're not even my ask, they're her ask. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Like her values influence you so much that you've taken them on as your own. And I think that that ripple effect is really significant. And I think that we overlook how important that is as we navigate the world in relationships. And I think that we all do that in different ways, whether it's how we show up in the workplace or mm-hmm. as a soccer coach or on the PTA or totally. in our a church community, like wherever you have influence, which is mm-hmm. starts in your household, like you have influence everywhere you go, Absolutely. Um, recognizing those values and how you portray them do have huge ripple effects. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to go back. You mentioned being raised by immigrant parents and that that's obviously a huge part of your story. Mm -hmm. And I really want to talk about that for a minute and dig into it a little bit. But you mentioned that that gives you a really unique worldview, a really unique perspective in this country. I also think it's interesting that you mentioned the contrast to that, which is someone who's a multi-generational American citizen. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really heard that exact term, just whose family's quote unquote, like always been here. And I love that distinction. Like, are you a multi-generational, you know, American family versus an immigrant family? And 
I think we aren't talking enough about that. And there's really, really important distinctions that should be made that we should have awareness around and that also allow us to honor each other in different ways because of what comes with either position. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that experience of being raised by immigrant parents here? In totally. The US? And listen, my view is not unique. There are loads of families. So from the work that we do, uh, Retail Voodoo, we're a brand development firm that specializes in developing identities, brands, and packaging for fast-moving consumer goods, mostly products that you use and purchase on a regular basis, like food and beverage and shampoo and laundry detergent, that sort of thing. And one of the things that we found in our research is that there are distinctions to those people that aren't in marketing or maybe in business and have access to this is that Americans are is like a really big giant brushstroke. Americans are different versions. You have immigrant Americans, so those people that have physically moved from another country, and then their offspring are first generation, and they have a way of behaving that's different than immigrants and multi-generational Americans. Second generation same thing. They're different from the previous generations. Third generation is when they start to lose most of the immigrant kind of componentry, unless they're really embedded in a culture like the native Hawaiians. We've seen some, actually, that might be one of the few cultures around the world that by the time they're third generation, they're still really holding on to a lot of the heritage once they mm. move off the islands into the United States. I don't know if that's true for all native cultures. And then all of a sudden now I'm curious about that. I'll have to go take a look I, at it. I know, same. Going back to my part, my families were immigrants. They're from Eastern Europe. They were both, not only were they immigrants, but they were refugees and they came to the United States. They met, actually met here in the United States. And then when I was born, my dad was a Holocaust survivor. So he had one view of taking a look at the way girls should grow up and the way women should be in culture. And then my mom was, my mom was, my mom still is Eastern Orthodox Catholic. And then we had two cultures. We had wow. two religious cultures and they were immigrants in the same household. And so there was a lot of like, who am I as a child growing up? I'm not really a part of their culture because I live in America and I see how America handles opportunities differently for women. Still at the time when I was a kid, it was not as robust as it is now, but definitely more flexibility than what my parents grew up with. Then I had the religious componentry that I didn't really connect with either way either because my dad actually didn't tell us that he was Jewish until I was in my 20s because it was wow. not discussed. So I didn't know. Until you didn't I know that older. he was a Holocaust survivor. No, not until I was in my 20s. He, They just didn't talk about it because wow. it's a crappy time in their life. Yeah. So um wasn't discussed. And my mom was Catholic. And at the time when she was growing up, Catholics and Jews did not marry in Eastern Europe. That was a no-no. So they didn't talk about it publicly because they had their own baggage around all of that. So they had World War II baggage, they had <laughs> religious baggage, they had yeah. cultural baggage, all sorts of stuff. So I didn't get a full picture of a lot of the behaviors that my parents had. And then as an American, I was really striving to be a lot of the things that Americans were, but I didn't understand it, nor did I align with a lot of the stuff that Americans did either because I had different cultural values at home. So I was somewhere in the middle, you know, uh, at all given times. And so what that meant was in how I translated and how I, and my current translation is a couple of things. One is I was an outsider no matter where I was. I wasn't an American. Mm -hmm. I wasn't 
a Slovakian. I was hybrid in between. And my parents being from small countries, there wasn't a big community around me. I didn't know anybody else that came from my culture growing up at all. And so I was truly somebody that needed to figure out who I was and own it and then try to join at the same time, which was super challenging. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a tricky upbringing as a kid, but how that, and I would say was hard because I was different and I lived in a super waspy Caucasian multi-generational American community. It, growing up in, there were only two immigrant families in my entire school. So I was one of the different ones. We were the Russian family. That was our nickname, the Russian family. Mm. I was not Russian, damn it. That was a swear word in our house as a kid growing up. I was going to say, that doesn't sound like, yeah. Well, because to have an inaccurate portrayal when you're already on the margins feels like really, really icky. Totally. Yeah. And it was only icky at the time because Russia had been an occupying was an occupying political force. So in any case, all of that stuff was really challenging and hard. And I think that I haven't, like, I still feel like an outsider, no matter where I go, I constantly am kind of looking at things as though they're different than me, they're different than me, they're different, and have probably a more challenging time connecting with people in that way. But what this kind of the superpower that comes from that is that my superpowers, I like to network, and I like to look for common ground. So When I'm meeting new people, even if we're very, very different, common ground is something that I'm constantly looking for, even though I'm looking for how we're different. And I use how we're different as ways to understand how to avoid topics that may cause friction or may cause problems. So I'm looking for them as a way to kind of make sure that they're separate in an effort to find common ground. Does that make sense? This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And they're specifically designed to combat 
chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. That does. And I think it's, that sounds so paradoxical, like finding common ground by acknowledging differences. But it makes a ton of sense. I think that this is like, I think the root of empathy is being able to look and see like, oh, we're different in these ways, but that helps us understand each other Mm -hmm. or have certain things that can be really similar, even though they look really different or manifest really different. I can hold space for you or feel what you might be feeling because I'm able to relate in some way, even though my experience might be totally Yeah. I quite like being, I mean, I own the whole different moniker now. I love being different. I didn't at the time, but when there's so many around the world, there's no such thing as no immigrants. Every country has immigrants. Yeah. And so many are influenced by other, I don't know if you know this, but Ethiopia, sidebar, Ethiopia is the only country in the whole entire world that has not been colonized. Really? Only country in the world where its culture is uniquely its own and is influenced by media right now, but it's not been, was not influenced by people coming in and forcibly changing their culture. So I want to go there. That's bucket list. What does a culture look like when it hasn't been colonized? Yeah. Yeah. So every country in the world has had influence of change. There is no such thing as a American or German or a North Korean, like every country has been influenced and changed by some colonizing force in some way, shape or form. And so, so when I say that's where the term multi-generational American comes for me is because, you know, unless you have documentation that goes back 2000 years, we're all from somewhere else. Yes. And that piece, I think, is so significant. And we could get real deep into a lot of political conversation right now, which is like spinning in the back of my head. But I also want to keep us like involved in your story. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just think you made a lot of really, really good points in there that I think will be, I hope, provide some aha moments for our listeners, but also some expansion of perspective that I think Mm -hmm. is always really, really valuable. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that. I want to, if you're okay with it, I would love to go back to your dad for just a minute and- well, and you, but I'm curious, what was it like? And I'm thinking in my twenties, I was really, really curious and intrigued by World War II, by Germany. I took a class in college called Hitler's Germany. And it was like Mm. one of my favorite classes Mm. um, because it was so fascinating to learn about how we got to this place. How did we get there? 
I'm curious what it was like for you in your 20s to learn that your dad was a Holocaust survivor, because I just I'm imagining how jarring that would be if it was me having learned some of the history and then have this like huge revelation. I have to think back to that time in a nutshell. Well, it was pretty seismic because I didn't really know what to do with the information at the time. It was the story is like this. We're celebrating Christmas. We're unwrapping presents. And my dad, who doesn't drink alcohol, had had a couple of glasses of something. I don't remember what it was. And he disappeared out of the room. And then he came back as we're unpacking our gifts and talking and eating. And he brought out this bag of he had his Jewish star that he wore as a kid. And then he had like the final postcards from his grandparents who had gone to concentration camp. So it was like the postcards that were written from camp about what was going on. It was all kind of written sort of in code, like we've lost our luggage, but we're fine. And, you know, all of that sort of thing. And I kind of, I sat with it for a while and what you probably even today, I don't really have a solid way of feeling about it because on one hand, I was pissed that my Mm -hmm that we hadn't grown up with it, that we didn't have the opportunity to understand my dad's real culture growing up. And that made me sad that he felt like he couldn't share it because he was afraid. My mom told me later on, she said she didn't want people in our neighborhood to know that my dad was Jewish because she was afraid that we were going to be discriminated against. And I told her, do you know that we've been discriminated against because we're the Russian family anyway, so it wouldn't have mattered but. <laughs> And so both of my parents lived in fear. And even to this day, my mom, my mom doesn't like to talk about it. And for me, in the past, I haven't struggled with talking about it. But in the last few years, I've been probably talking about it less often, just because the current cultural conditions Mm -hmm. are very confusing and toxic and I don't know what to do with it. It's not that I'm ashamed. I just am ill-prepared to talk about it because it's a culture that I didn't grow up in and I don't want people to go, well, you're waving it around like a banner, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. When I was in my 20s and I learned about it, I would say that it was very shocking and it was jarring and I didn't know what to do with it. But then I was able to start talking with the rest of my family about it, my cousins and stuff who also didn't share with it share that information with us. So I think now here we are 20, 30 years later, I'm still kind of left bewildered. I don't have information. I don't know my family from, I don't know my family heritage from that side well enough. And I don't know what to do about it other than that's kind of where it is, you know? Yeah. I also want to honor that we're recording this on October 19th, which is 10 days after huge atrocities that have, again, reignited anti-Semitism. So thank you for sharing all of that. And especially kind of in this moment in time, I think that these layers of identity are, this is my favorite thing to talk about on the show is like all these layers of our identity that make up who we are. And even if we're like, I have this thing about me, but I don't know what it means. Like that's important too, you know? Yeah. Or this experience where you're like, I don't know if I've processed it or I've just been able to compartmentalize or it has come to influence me more. And I think sometimes there's ebbs and flows to those things where you're like, yeah, life, like I'm not 
digging into that. And in another yeah. season, maybe I will, and maybe I won't. And uh, that's all okay. But yeah. I think that we all have components of our lives and identities that are like that. And back to your, what you talked about earlier about like finding common ground by acknowledging our differences. I think it just, again, gives us this place to recognize like everyone's carrying so much. And most of us are carrying things we haven't processed yet. <laughs> yeah. We're like, yep, I have it. Yeah. I don't know. Like I can tell you it's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And, I, I, you know, frankly, it's really you know, kind of acknowledging what's happening right now in the world. It's very confusing to be, again, that multi-generational person, multicultural person to be sitting here and kind of going, I hate this part. I hate this part. I hate this part. And what's my role in it? What's not my role in it? What do I own? What do I not own? Yeah. Like, it's sucky. Yeah. It's a lot <laughs> so, of cognitive dissonance. I Yeah. Mad. And it's one thing to hold space for that when you are, when you're holding personal space for that, but it also impacts professional space too. And you're in this totally. world where like you have a brand and you have a company and yeah. it's interesting seeing how companies in these kinds of moments choose to show up or ch say things or not say things. And so yeah. when you're navigating like the personal layers and then totally. you're also like, also what's our company take on this? Like there's just, that's so much to carry. Absolutely. Can we talk a little bit about how your worldview, your layered experiences and layered identity have contributed to the business that you have built today. And I know you also have a podcast, the Gooder Podcast. Yeah. And if you want to dig into how, you know, that's how your identity has influenced both aspects um, in terms of the company and the podcast. Yeah, we touched on it earlier on where I said, you know, we think that businesses should be a force for good. Yeah. And really what it is, is we've come along as a Capitalism is such a weird philosophy. I mean, capitalism is we kind of it's sort of a religion if we want to look at it through Pretty that culty. lens. Yeah. <laughs> so I love the fact that in the last several 10 years, maybe even longer, there's been this concept of saying, listen, you can be a good business or a bad business. Mm -hmm. And a good business behaves this way and a bad business doesn't. Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of ways to be a good business or bad business. When I joined my business partner in 2006. We were kind of a generalist firm. We were we did great brand work, great marketing work for all types of projects. And we still do for the most part, but we really position ourselves in this fast moving consumer goods space. But post 2008, when the market crashed and we came back and we decided, you know, we're going to reposition ourselves and focus on this category. But within this category, we really wanted to focus on taking our expertise and experience working with multinational brands like Nike and REI and PepsiCo and Walmart and start pointing it towards what we call better for you category. In 2011, it was still kind of an emerging kind of category, natural, organic, that type of thing. Because my business partner's son had been going through years and years of health issues. And when I had met him in 2006, I'd introduced this concept of naturopathic medicine to him. And he, at one point I said, well, why don't we take your son or why don't you take your son to this naturopath and see what they come up with? They did a blood drawn, some tests and reviewed and came back and found out that he had food intolerance to cow milk and chicken egg. And when those items were removed from his diet, all of a sudden he wasn't sick anymore, where he was on antibiotics once a quarter. And wow. this child went from being on antibiotics once a quarter to not being on antibiotics or even being sick for years after the fact. So David and I said, what if we turn this concept that we can use food for good, we can be, you know, that natural and organic can help people live better lives if we just understand it and start leaning in the direction of that. So that's where we 
decided to focus on this better for you category, which has since, you know, here we are 12 years later, the industry has normalized. Organics are involved in most families' lives in some way, shape, or form. We're all very much more educated for the most part about eating healthy and exercise and avoiding those things that we could possibly ingest or put on our body and just understanding the impacts of them. Okay, great. If I'm going to drink alcohol, I know that this is what's going to happen. Like nobody's really avoiding any information now because it's just all over the place. So that stemmed from a couple of things. One was my parents' upbringings. Immigrants tend to be like, you extend your budget, you're always reusing things, you waste not, want not, and then layer it with my influence from Jane Goodall, and then bring it into this business, using business as a force for good, we're going to help those companies that want to be good become economic powerhouses. So the challenge at the time when we were starting the work that we were doing was there were a lot of these small companies that didn't have much of an influence because they were kind of emerging and big companies like Kraft or Kellogg's or P&G didn't see that there was any money to be made from creating foods that were better for you. That script has flipped mostly because of the success of this better for you industry and the demand from customers and education and all that fact. So just kind of like full circle ecosystem. It's like the influence from my parents and the influence of me being impacted by this human that wanted to do better and then being put in a position where I could work with my business partner and we would have a say on the types of clients we wanted to help. And even those clients that come to us that are not like green and organic still don't want to be known as destructive. And that's so they ask us for ways to help them not communicate what's great about their brand outside of it being just a great product. So I don't know if I answered your question. I feel like I went off-roading and then went off a cliff somewhere. I love Did it. I, no, I love it. I love it all. It's all so fascinating. And oh. I think that, you know, one of the things that I've been talking a lot about with my entrepreneurial friends in recent months is just building businesses and companies that are values-based, but not just the, like I think there's danger and just insane, like, oh, like we're a values-based company. Because I I think you really have to walk the walk when you say that. And I see totally. a lot of companies not doing mm-hmm. it. And especially in certain industries, I see it not really happening. And then mm-hmm. there's this like gaslighting effect that the people yeah. that you're serving think that they are have chosen to participate in, yeah. you know, in supporting a brand or getting accessing services for people who are doing good. And that's not always the case. So, yeah. but I think that building values based companies is really significant. And I think that more and more women and especially moms are conscientious of around how they use services that are aligned with certain core values, Mm -hmm. um, services and brands. And Mm -hmm. I think this is a way that like, whether you're going out and building the thing to be a certain, to be centered around certain brands or certain values, or you're getting services from companies that stand for certain things. Like right. We all have the opportunity to have power in that. And I think that's really, really significant. And I so appreciate that you talk about you know, years ago. And I was someone who was like <laughs> in the health food industry when if you wanted to get quote unquote health food, you had to go to the health food store. Totally. It's like so integrated into every store. And yeah. it went from that to like, it would be a cut, tiny section, like maybe a half of an aisle at a quote unquote regular store. Yeah. And then they integrated it into every, I mean, so it's been a really interesting evolution. But I also think that we know what brands and what companies live certain values and what we want to uphold and how we want to move away from the culty capitalism 
Um, and so I appreciate all that. And I appreciate how you can connect it to those early experiences with Jane Goodall, with your family of, you know, of origin. And I think recognizing where it comes from can keep you really tied to the mission. But it also, I think, really helps consumers recognize when they're in, investing in a product or a service that it's often coming from someone like you that has, that has, is coming from this position that yep. because of the way I've experienced the world and I, the unique perspective that I have, this is why we've really intentionally built something a certain way. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the Gooder podcast? Cause I know you have oh, sure. that as well for folks who might want to listen to that. For sure. So in early 2000, weirdly enough, I started this right before the pandemic and who would I have, known? have a lot of time to do interviews during the <laughs> pandemic. Right before the pandemic, I started a podcast called The Gooder Podcast, and the last of the new episodes just went live last week, and I'm taking a little bit of a break because between COVID and then I did two years getting my MBA, which I graduated in June, and I just kind of need a break and kind of simplify everything down to just focusing on work and focusing on family for right now. The Gooder podcast came out of an observation that I was having in the naturals industry. So there's a couple of, there's one really big trade show called the Natural Products Expo. And those people that are familiar with in CPG food and beverage brands in particular know about Natural Products West. Huge, 120,000 attendees, just gobs and gobs of brands and clients. And I've been attending this trade show for years, right in like round around 2017, 18, when that category started to explode and normalize and everybody was bringing natural brands into their household. Everybody is a really broad broad brush stroke there. I was looking around and I had noticed that there had been a change in who were creating the brands and who were running the brands and who were the experts. And what I had seen was this transition from fairly diverse, not super diverse, but fairly diverse group, mostly women business owners to companies who are now multinationals had come in, General Mills being a big one, a number of other ones. And the brands had become normalized, organic had become normalized, but the people who were owning and running the brands had started to shift for, there was a lot more of a balance between men and women, which which were great. But what had gone away was the leadership of women in a very public way. They were not being leveraged as subject matter experts anymore. And it was frustrating to me to see that the balance of ownership and leadership had shifted from so such a heavy female presence to a much more dominated male presence, which, you know, is the way it goes. They had men have more access to capital. They have more access to relationships. And many of the brands in this category had started out of kitchen and garages. And then when they would sell to somebody, it was likely somebody who had expertise growing a brand and ended up being men. So I felt like women's voices were starting to be lost. Yeah. And first I was mad about it and I was observing it. And then I thought, well, what if I just created a podcast? Cause I like talking to people and invited women on talk about how women see the business and what's important to them in this category and kind of normalize women in leadership in the CPG space. So I did that for about three years and have learned a lot. And I would say that there's been a pretty seismic shift and a concerted effort to reshift women into those leadership roles again. And so if I had some influence on that, that would be 
fantastic, but there's some really, there are a lot of men out there that also believe in women and they've been working very hard to balance is not quite the right word, but just make sure that we keep bringing diversity into those leadership roles. There's some still some outages, I would say some significant outages from a visibility standpoint, especially on the marketing side. But when you consider that women influence 80% of all household purchases, I think there is an outsized relationship of men to women in the decision-making process of the businesses. Yes, you can see the data, you can look at the data, but it really certainly helps to have somebody who's living with these decisions on a day-to-day basis, because this is not all data-driven. There's a lot of anthropology that and psychology that is built into why people purchase things. And data is really just a reflection of what's happening. They're not drivers of any, they don't really create any real visibility that tell us, you know, why does somebody behave this way? Why do they want this? Nor is it from an innovation standpoint, I think we're also missing out on helping certain communities feel better represented. And and I'll even say lost market opportunity by not taking in a wider segment of subgroups in America when doing product innovation as well. So that's my three cents on that. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. 
Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Oh my gosh, I totally agree. Yes, and being able to, like the potential for really mutual beneficial relationships when you broaden who you can serve and broaden who gets has access, exposure, who gets to step up and yeah. have a voice. And like there, it's so mutually beneficial. Yeah. So yeah, I think that piece is really, really significant. Yeah. It always drives me bananas when I see 900 brands going after a segment that's really, really large and having them go, okay, I'm comfortable having 0.3% of this audience as my consumer when there's a whole consumer way over here Mm -hmm. and the size of prize is significantly larger, but because them as a group isn't as big as this group. Right. Yeah. So that's, those are things that, (laughs) yeah, as brand developers, we always bring that information to the table and we just kind of go, well, you could go for 0.3% here, Mm -hmm. or you can have 50% of this over here and look at the size of prize is ginormous. Like, why wouldn't you? do that. I was at an event for podcasters like a year ago, almost, I think. And I was in the room with all these podcasters who've been in podcasting for a long time and have built big shows and have big followings. And going into this, I had some assumptions that like these guys are all, it was almost all men. I'm like, they're all going to be talking about the same thing and doing the same thing and blah, blah, blah. A lot of them were. And there was this one guy though, that was ridiculously successful, like stand apart successful in the room. And I was really paying attention to him. He was really engaging, really fun and very wise. And his niche was podcasting about horses and horsemanship and farriers, which I learned what a farrier is, like all these things about horses. And I went up to him after and I'm like, so like, did you grow up loving horses? And it wasn't even this huge passion of his, like it was something he was interested in, but he said, I kind of just ended up down this path and realized no one else was serving this population. And they are so hungry and thirsty and want more and more and more. And they love being in community with one another. And I had this opportunity to be of service in this way that no one else was stepping up to do. And so he made it this intentional shift from like, I could be over here, you know, trying to get in on all like the bro marketing things. And he's like, instead, I'm just going to focus on the people with horses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's been like, he's so successful with it. And it was such an eye opening experience that I totally hear you when you're like, I'm just going to help all the moms. And then if I'm yeah. like, okay, but what if I help like this certain segment of moms? Yeah. And if other people come by way of that, great. But yeah, yeah it, it makes yeah. a big difference. And it, it really is all about your intention. Like, I love the thing that you said about this podcaster where he says, he said to you, I just want to be in service. Mm-hmm. Like that is a, such a clear distinction. So he's like, I want to be in service. But what he did was he figured out how he could be in service instead of I want to talk about cars. Like that's different. Yeah, if that makes any sense. So he's like, right. how can I be of service? And then what audience needs my service? Right. And I think having that intention and that distinction is really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think anyone, whether you are someone who's in the entrepreneurial space or in you're in the corporate space, I think recognizing where your gifts lie or and or where your passions lie and then moving in that direction, because you're always going to be, you're always going to have more impact moving in that direction. Absolutely. Than like, I, I just happen to be good at math, but I don't care about math, you know? Right. So yeah, I think that that combination is really significant. We haven't talked about, and I know we're, we're going to get ready to wrap here, but we haven't talked about your family and we haven't talked about your children and being a shameless mom. Can you tell us just a little bit about who makes up your family and what that looks like? Well, I have my immediate family. Well, I'll explain it like this. So my husband and I, we have four kids. Two are from his previous marriage. Two is from our marriage together. The two older kids are have launched 
and they're living their lives, finding their space. They're still in their 20s. And, you know, the 20s is that time when everybody thinks it's your teens when you're trying to figure yourself out. Mm, (laughs) I contend that you're trying to figure yourself out between the age of 20 and 70. So they're still in the early stages (laughs) of figuring themselves out and learning what's important to them and who they want to be. And some days it's better than others. And then the younger kids are in high school and they are there are super interesting kids. What I would say is being a stepmom or step parent is can be particularly challenging because depending on the dynamics of the other parental unit and the what happened to for the marriage to end and then how that whole transition happened really has an influence on the relationship of a step parent. A step parent yeah. can be considered a good step parent or a bad step parent, depending on how all of those dynamics can be. And then of course we have our own behaviors. One of the things I love about being a step parent is you get to be sort of this third parent and a third way of seeing things. One of the things I hate about being a step parent is you're kind of teed up to be the bad guy from a cultural standpoint, because even yeah. culturally, like a step parent, step mom, especially has traditionally had the moniker of being mean and unfair and uncaring. And so it's a tricky combination, but I love the fact that I have this bigger family. Yeah, Younger guys have love having older siblings, but kind of go back to when I was in school, I decided to go back to get my MBA. Like I said, like two, two and a half years ago, thinking that my kids being in middle school and high school at the time would be fine without me. And coming out of the back end of two years, I wished I would have either waited or gone Mm -hmm. back earlier because I think my kids and my husband during this time subsequently needed me more than I thought than they would. Being a junior high and high school kid is far more complicated than being a wee one when you're little and your feelings get hurt or you fall down and break something or tired or you're hungry. They're pretty simple things. In junior high and high school, you're starting to figure out who you are. There's social dynamics. You're kind of being prepped to launch. Things are far more complicated. And I think the one-on-one time is actually far more critical. I'm saying this looking backwards, looking forwards, I wouldn't have considered this. Otherwise I wouldn't have gone to school, but I think I lost a couple of years and I'm feeling obligated to kind of recram my significance in with them because I was basically out of pocket for two years. My husband and I's relationship kind of struggled under that pressure as well, because he became the default go-to for all of these things. And we also didn't get time to do debriefs and talk about all of these elements, nor grow our own relationship. And all relationships kind of grow over time and change and modify. And so it was at a standstill for a couple of years. And he was changing because of the influences and market conditions of COVID and all of that sort of thing. So I would say the family unit is super dynamic right now because we're sort of recovering from my time away of being an MBA. And I don't say this to be in a bad way because I was able to go back and get my MBA and I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the business world, what I knew that I didn't know, and then what I stuff that I learned that was actually stuff that I didn't know. So, you know, feel like we're kind of in a new place. I know different things. I think we all think about different things in a different way, but we're kind of in a rebuild moment. I'm not saying that anything is broken. It's just messy mm-hmm. and needs to new parameters need to be put into place and new commitments need to be put into place. And that's part of what I said is like, I'm putting the podcast on the back burner and I'm done with school and like really skilled and I'm not volunteering as much. I'm really wanting to just be available 
and trying to own the fact that I stepped out for a while. And as an overachiever, when I stepped out, (laughs) I was committed to my MBA. And so I kind of need to own the fact that I did step out the way that I did and kind of help build this family structure and family unit into something that we want. Thank you for your transparency with that. Yeah. Can you tell us how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom? As a little, I mean, you've given many examples. We always end with this question. So if there's just given some beautiful examples of how you're doing that, if there's anything you would add, go ahead. And if you feel like you've completed your thought around Gosh, we can how do move I on. show up as a shameless mom? You know what? I think how I show up as a shameless mom is I'm probably more authentic with my family now than I have been. Again, having gone through the last, I think COVID and then MBA and with yeah. my kids in high school. So I am that spazzy weirdo that I think I was trying to tamper for a little while. And then I realized, oh, that's the part of me that's authentic. So my kids get to see me dancing or not dancing or singing and saying dad jokes, which I love dad jokes. (laughs) I don't even know why they're called dad jokes because they should just be, they should just be called bad jokes and like everybody love them. I know. I love it that like your answer, how I'm being a shameless mom is by just telling a lot of dad jokes. Yeah. (laughs) The end. (laughs) So perfect. Can you tell people where they can connect with you and find you, find the podcast and any other places you want to point folks? Oh my gosh. Okay. Get out your pencils and paper. No. (laughs) So my business partner, who incidentally is my husband. So I probably should have just said that I work with my husband. Our firm is called Retail Voodoo. And if you are a marketer, and interested in learning more about how we can help you grow your business, as particularly if you are in this CPG space, you can find us on retail-voodoo.com. If you want to see me in a couple of different ways, I'm very active on LinkedIn. You're going to hear a lot about my opinion on what's happening in business, both on the CPG side and the retail side, because we also have experience working with retailers on a number of things. And then if you just want to see goofball mom, or I call myself MBA mom. I'm on Instagram. I call it uh, Diana Frike, F-R-Y-C. And I think there's only one of me on Instagram because it's not a common last name. And it's very infrequent, completely inconsistent. This is really about living an imperfect life. So don't expect perfect photography. Don't expect consistency, but expect to see things that I find interesting and that I love. And so you can find me there as well. I will link all that up. So everything will be linked. If people go to shamelessmom.com and click on the episode with Diana Frank, they can just click through and grab all those links right there and pop through to connect with Diana and with Retail Voodoo and Instagram and LinkedIn. I don't think we're connected on LinkedIn. So that's no, what I'm going to go do in a minute. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the Gooder <laughs> podcast. There's a Gooder oh, yeah. podcast link on our website, but we're also on all the platforms. Okay. Gooder podcast, just like how it's spelled. Okay. Amazing. Diana, thank you so much for being here. And thank you mostly for your transparency. You dug into a lot of things in really deep, true, honest, brave, vulnerable ways. And I really, really appreciate that. And I know that people are going to walk away feeling inspired to do the same in different areas of their life. So thank Mm. you so much for being here and doing that. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued 
over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.